Last Friday, the identity of Lawyer X was revealed. Melbourne barrister Nicola Gobbo is Lawyer X, the criminal defence lawyer who represented many prominent underworld figures, while at the same time working as a police informer. There's now a Royal Commission in Victoria trying to unpack what this all means for all the gangland convictions involving her clients. John Sylvester is a senior crime writer with The Age newspaper in Melbourne. John Sylvester, tell us, who exactly is Nicola Gobbo? She is one of the most fascinating people that probably ever to do law. In an area which is pretty staid, pinstripe suits and so on, Nicola burst into the scene as the youngest female ever to go to the bar. And she certainly didn't fit the, um, the template of a conservative lawyer. Um, she loved flashy clothes, high heels. She looked sometimes like she going to a disco rather than court. She also carefully cultivated an image of being different. She would send little snippets to gossip columnists about her colourful life. So she wasn't sort of hiding that she was different. A lot of people within the law saw her as a jet, someone with a real future. But they were all worried that she was way, way, way too close to her clients. I certainly know two county court judges, two magistrates and a couple of QCs all independently sought her out, had coffee or lunch and said, you're risking your future. You are way too close to these people. And in each occasion, she acknowledged it and said, yes, I know. But she didn't change. So why do you think she was so successful in getting gangland clients so early in her career? The reason that she cultivated so many clients so quickly is that she didn't work within the rules. That is, she was available 24 hours a day and she was prepared to talk with these people in a very non-legalistic way. As you well know, a barrister or any lawyer cannot put up a defence they know to be wrong. So if a client says, I did it, then they won't pursue a tactic of saying, you didn't do it. Nicola, on the other hand, ran with them all the time. She partied with them. She became their friends. And in the end, I think some of the crooks thought that she was part of the gang. I'll give you one particular example. There was a, a successful drug raid on a lab, which was a Mockbell-controlled lab. The offenders were taken to the drug squad. One of them was starting to wobble at the knees and was prepared to make a statement probably implicating the Mockbells. Now, a corrupt drug squad detective contacts Gobbo and gets her to come in, not to represent the client, but effectively to represent the interests of the Mockbells. And she was telling this guy, don't talk, don't roll. And going outside and hopping in a car with Hawkey Mockbell to tell him what was going on. So she wasn't only just playing both sides of the street, she was also favouring one client over another. Throughout this, it shows that she was hopelessly conflicted. But, you know, with all the angst that's going on, eventually I think the bar is going to have to have a look at itself and say, well, what did we do? In police circles, if a cop goes bad, ultimately you look and go, should we have picked it up earlier? should this person have been in a position of trust. It was an open secret that Nikki was going too close to the clients. Did anyone officially from the bar get hold of her? Did they counsel her, guide her, or in fact sanction her? John Sylvester, what information did she feed the police about her clients? 
Now, this is to the nub of it. What we've got is a massive philosophical divide here. On one hand, we have virtually all lawyers saying this is a reprehensible breach and the criminal justice system will collapse. The police, on the other hand, are saying we have not once been asked what we did and we are confident that we can establish that what we did was legal and that we didn't use any information, you know, behind the facts. That they were remembering that this was somebody who was partying and socialising with these people. I don't know whether we'll be able to do it, but we need to split the onion and say, well, over here, she's acting as a lawyer representing members of the underworld. And over here, she's actually part of the underworld who happens to be a lawyer. Can you split the onion? I mean, is that distinction... Uh, I mean, one, can you actually split the onion? And, and two, is, is the distinction important? If you've got a relationship which has been built up as a lawyer-client, you can't then leverage off that to um, get all this other information. I don't know. I don't know. You know, we got to the stage, what if, when you're doing cocaine with someone and they tell you that they're going to import a massive drug shipment, is that lawyer-client privilege? I, I simply don't know. I mean, some of the cases are clearly a nonsense. For example, Tony Mockbell is saying she gave away our tactic in fighting the cocaine conviction. Well, there's a couple of hurdles to jump there including 157 phone taps, 43 witnesses and a taped confession that he made to a fellow co-accused. Added to that, he jumped bail and ran away. So eventually, I suppose, people are going to have to have a look and say, was Gobbo's actions pivotal in the conviction and were they unlawful? First, we've got her breaching privilege, which she shouldn't have done. Then we've got the police accepting the information. That's a different argument altogether. The police are saying, we'll get our information wherever we can. And they presumably would have got legal advice all along the line about what they could do in terms of collecting the information and how they could use it in order to make sure that a conviction, if it was achieved, was safe. This is going to be what the Royal Commission will look at. I don't think it ever got that specific. I think it probably was a broad legal opinion to say, is this lawful? And the answer was yes. I don't think that they were going on every particular occasion to find out. You know, the police may be whistling in the dark, but they're saying everything's taped, everything's recorded. There's a lot of real and understandable emotion in this. The Mockbell example you gave before, you're suggesting that that will probably be a fairly clear-cut case. But there'll be hundreds of others where it ain't clear-cut. I've heard the term, how do you unscramble an egg? Yeah. I mean, how do you decide you know, when it's unlawful or whether it's irrelevant? Look, and in a lot of these cases where people are saying, oh, she recommended that I plead guilty. Well, well hang on. She was nearly always the junior and the senior most experienced and respected barrister such as, you know, Con Haliotis, QC. Well, don't tell me that Con would ever acquiesce to a client pleading guilty when he thought there was a realistic chance of an acquittal. So you're saying because there are other people involved that may, if you like, shore up the conviction? There's two things here, isn't there? There's the procedure, if you like, which is the, the trial itself, and then the evidence. Now, if Nicola provided intelligence from privileged conversations which became evidence, there could be an argument that 
the police shouldn't have used it, and therefore the case collapses. The police argument was what she did with her clients is a matter for her. And, of course, in most of the occasions using informers, well, in all, it involves a breach of trust. That is, somebody the target trusts gathers information against them. It's a dirty business dealing with the underworld, and it's a dirty business getting the information. We will have to go back and look at each and every case. If information that was gathered is turns out to be unlawful, then it may be that everything that came from that point is unusable. Is Nicola Gobbo in danger? That was the argument used by police for arguing that her name should continue to be suppressed. On the other hand, the court said no, the public interest in her clients knowing about this, being able to lodge an appeal and do whatever they need to do, outweighs that. In your view, is she in danger? The High Court made it quite clear that she was. I think the High Court is 100% right that these clients deserve to know what happened to see if there was a miscarriage of justice. Uh, you know, and the police have been active in this whole process in trying to protect her. Of course, at the moment, she's the most valuable person alive because she can testify about what she did. But just one thing to finish, the area of privilege is, is fascinating because everybody's got absolutely blue in the face over it. I just wonder if a lawyer received information that one of their clients was going to blow up the Rialto tomorrow and a 1,000 people would die, would they tell the police? They'd have to, they'd have to. That, that would be within the clear ethical guidelines, wouldn't it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So what if Gobbo says, I was doing this to stop murders? But I think you'd have to have the, a specific murder as opposed to... Well, that, that goes back to... Well, John, in conclusion, that goes back to what do we know about her motivation for playing both sides of the street here? I'm not totally sure that she knows. What I do know is that, that in 2004... At the age of 31, she had a stroke. And I spoke, I was not, don't get me wrong, I was never close to her, but I did see her in the street after her illness and she looked really drawn and tired and sad. And I asked her how she was. And she said, that long ago, she said, I carried a beeper 24 hours a day. I was always available for these people. Only one of them came to see me. I know now that they're not my friends. But I think she was in so deep at that point. I think really she wanted to burn the bridges because she started to backslide back to these crooks. I think that the murder of the Hodsons impacted. These are police informers. Terry Hodson was a police informer. Nicola Gobbo was telling people he was an informer. And it's alleged that she, you know, could have been on the... Don't get me wrong, she wasn't involved with the murder, but she would have been on the periphery of that investigation. And it may well have frightened her on two grounds. One, she could be facing a serious criminal investigation. And two, she realised how ruthless the people she was dealing with were. I think she tried to burn the bridges and get a new life. But of course, you know, this sort of police informing area is really designed for co-accused. People who, who are looking at big jail time unless they cooperate. So it's really a unique situation in her case. And you know what? Her own handlers went in the police force really weren't sure why she did it. John Sylvester, thank you. A fascinating conversation. It's not going away anytime soon. John Sylvester, the multi-award winning senior crime writer with The Age newspaper in Melbourne. And he's also co-author of the Underbelly books. On RN or available as a podcast, this is The Law Report. I'm Damien Carrick.